This podcast contains graphic subject matter and is meant for mature listeners only. Because when my son was killed in the Beltrami County Jail, I thought I was going to lose my mind. Over the past two episodes, we've told you about Delshia Perry's crusade for answers. Answers about her son, Hardell Sherrill's mysterious death in 2018 at the Beltrami County Jail in northern Minnesota. Delshia staged countless protests. We're here for justice. We're here to demand justice because too many people keep dying in Beltrami County Jail. She refused to believe the official narrative and reports that her son just collapsed and became unresponsive as guards and jail medical staff tried to save him. And guess what, folks? They said there were no violations. I said, you got to be kidding me, because that report was nothing but a made-up lie. Our investigation, reviewing hours of jail video and hundreds of pages of jail, court, and medical records found that Hardell was left lying in his own waste, paralyzed, begging for medical care, which he never received. He slowly died over a period of days from a survivable illness, denied life-saving treatment. In my view, Hardell was tortured. This is pure torture. He was um, he was suffocating in front of them for days. This is civil rights attorney Zorislav Leiderman. We don't have a death penalty here in Minnesota. People who end up in jail for whatever reason should be leaving that jail on their own two feet the same way they came in. To leave a person paralyzed on the jail floor who can't breathe, who can't move, uh, who is urinating and defecating on himself, uh, to leave him to suffer that way uh, and to die due to the fact that he just couldn't breathe anymore is absolutely cruel and unusual. Delshia hired Zorislav to review her son's case when she felt the jail and state were engaged in a cover-up. Her um, ongoing search for the truth looks like it's finally revealing the truth, and the truth is disturbing. The disturbing truth being revealed goes beyond what happened to Hardell, because as we discover, Hardell's death is not an isolated incident at the Beltrami County Jail. And we haven't had any type of justice at all. Not one person has been suspended. Not one person has been fired. Licenses have not been revoked. But people keep dying in Beltrami County Jail. I'm AJ Legault, an investigative reporter in Minnesota. You're listening to Cruel and Unusual, Episode 3, Message from the Grave. What I see going on in Beltrami County is just complete disregard for human life. It's June of 2020. We're speaking with attorney Zorislav Leiderman about Hardell Sherrill's death. He tells us to dig deeper, that Hardell is not the only suspicious death he's spotted since taking Delshia's case. And when we started looking into these incidents of what's happening in Beltrami County Jail, uh, we saw a pattern. It's a very suspicious and uh, concerning pattern. So, just what is that suspicious pattern? People that should be leaving the jail uh, in the same condition they came in, um, and instead of that, they're they're dying. Zorislav tells us he's identified five suspicious deaths in just three years, but official investigations haven't raised red flags about any of them. People are dying 
Um, nobody was taking a look into this. We felt that someone has to look into what's happening over there because uh, if nobody is doing anything, uh, people will continue to die. And that's not right. My investigative team started to dig into what was happening. There's a saying that dead men tell no tales. But another suspicious jail death tied to Beltrami County is a contradiction. It only came to light because the dead man sent his family a message from the grave. We found the note that he wrote. We'll come back to that note in a minute. The woman we're speaking with is Tracy Lundmark. Her uncle, Bruce Lundmark, was many things. Among them, a talented artist who loved to paint. Tracy tells the story of how her uncle brought her mom, who was hospitalized at the time, a beautiful painting of a bouquet of flowers, saying he couldn't afford to buy her any, so he made her some instead. Tamara Poppy is another one of Bruce's nieces. He's had a lot of pictures, um, even some up at some of the local bars around here, but yeah, he was a very good artist. That was his trade was carpentry, just like our grandpa, his dad. Singing, playing guitar, he was, you know, had a great voice and could play guitar. As a sibling with my mom and Tracy's dad, you know, everybody was close in the family. He was the youngest boy. Um, They all just got along so well, spent a lot of time together. And as far as him being my uncle, Tracy's uncle, I mean, he was, he was awesome. He was friendly. Anything we needed, I mean, he would help us give you the shirt off his back. Anything for for us, all of us. So it's, it's really hard to be without him. Bruce was also a Vietnam-era Navy veteran who suffered from depression, anxiety, and PTSD. And as his niece Tracy tells us, often self-medicated with drugs, battling addiction for years. He was struggling with uh, addiction for many, many years. That was why he was in jail, basically. It was his demons that he battled a good portion of his life. It was, in fact, drug possession that landed Bruce in the Beltrami County Jail in June 2019. A month later, records show, due to overcrowding, he was transferred to the Clearwater County Jail and died within hours. The 63-year-old's autopsy detailed a complex series of medical issues, including gastrointestinal hemorrhage, a natural death, or so his family thought. Just like it had when Hardell Sherrill died, the State Department of Corrections conducted a death review, but found no violations by the jails. There was nothing suspicious about Bruce's death. Nothing suspicious, that is, until Bruce sent his family that message from the grave. And then when we got his property from the jail, we found the note that he wrote. And that kind of is what started the whole cycle of where we're at now. What did he write in that note? It was it was mixed in with papers that he had for court and stuff. And it just said, if I die, sue Beltrami County, pretty much. So Tracy is being polite while being recorded speaking with reporters. What Bruce's note really said is, quote, If I die, sue the shit out of Beltrami County. When you see that note, what goes through your mind? Well, it was heartbreaking um, just to know that, you know, he was struggling and suffering to the point that he thought he was going to die. He was worried that he was going to die. Yeah, yep. The mystery deepened 
Tracy and Tamara tell us their family also began hearing from other men who'd been incarcerated with Bruce in the Beltrami County Jail. The cellmates described a situation eerily similar to what our investigation discovered happened with Hardell Sherrill 10 months prior to Bruce's death. Just like in Hardell's case, they said Bruce was in agonizing pain for days and begging guards and jail nurses for medical care. Care which never came. Basically that he was trying to get medical attention or get help and they just ignored him in their words or they didn't do anything. Um, Some of the inmates had to actually help him up when he had like um, just didn't have the strength to stand, you know, and help him up and ask for a wheelchair and they didn't provide him one. Um, Just that he should have had medical help with the condition he was in and they, they didn't get it to him. Yes, and these are people that we don't know. They're people that, you know, just kind of contacted Tracy because her last name or maybe, you know, a niece and let her know that, you know, this bothered them so much that they felt like they had to reach out to somebody because they knew that it was wrong what happened to him. So what happened to Bruce behind the Beltrami County Jail walls? As part of our investigation, we obtained internal jail videos that show the man obviously in excruciating pain. And we asked two independent experts to review Bruce's jail, hospital, and autopsy medical records. When you looked at the files for Bruce Lundmark, what words would you use to describe the care he received? Shocking, horrifically shocking is what I would say. He didn't receive any care. He received no care um, while he was there. That's certified forensic nurse, Melissa Becker. Profoundly inadequate, horrifically inadequate, negligent. He had a GI bleed and he bled to death internally and no one did anything about it. I hear you describing what sounds like a needless death. Absolutely. We also consulted with Dr. Laura Lehman, who is board certified in both emergency and internal medicine. She was equally appalled by the lack of medical care Bruce received in response to his symptoms. Yeah, it was it was negligent. Dr. Lehman says it was negligent because there were plenty of documented warning signs that Bruce had a serious medical condition long before Beltrami County Jail transferred him to Clearwater. Attention was not paid to his symptoms and to the signs, uh, you know, his vital signs and the vomiting and the fact that he was doubled over, the fact that he was complaining of numbness, all that that is subjective, but still uh, all of those things needed to be evaluated and none of them were. He should have been seen immediately. The records show on July 19th, Bruce sent a medical request asking to see a doctor or nurse because he was having pain where he should not, around his kidneys or appendix. What's more, he thought he may have had a mild stroke because of numbness in his left leg and arm. That's a red flag, Dr. Lehman says, called for immediate action. Because left-sided numbness is an emergency complaint. That's a stroke until proven otherwise. You call an ambulance and you go straight to the emergency department. But MEND Correctional Care, the jail's for-profit medical provider, never even sent a nurse to see Bruce. 
Over the next two nights, he got worse. Pain so bad, records show other inmates told guards they needed to do something about it. The jail video shows Bruce doubled over in bed, often writhing in obvious pain. Bruce's niece, Tracy, watched the video. You could tell he was suffering. He was in pain, bent over, and he was crouched over, almost in the fetal position, and it just, it was hard to watch. Bruce can also be seen shuffling back and forth to the bathroom. Guards, in their reports, noted he had explosive diarrhea and went 21 times in one night. But there's something about these reports that jumps out to Nurse Becker, who's used to analyzing jail medical cases and giving expert testimony in court. All the supplemental reports that are written by the correctional officers are very detailed, but they aren't written until after his death. They're written on the 22nd and going back and in retrospect, providing documentation about his condition on the 19th, the 18th, the 19th, and the 20th, and the 21st. All of that was written on the 22nd after he has died. They're very detailed, and they're detailed in a way that had that information been communicated to the nursing staff, would have alerted them that something's going on here. The video also reveals what at first appears to be something really alarming. Bruce starts tying his sheets in knots to the top of the bed frame on his bunk. It looks like the beginning of a suicide attempt. And as you watch the video, it's hard to understand why guards don't come rushing in to stop him as it goes on for several minutes. However, Bruce was not trying to kill himself. He was trying to ease his pain as attorney Zorislav Leiderman explains after studying the video. His last night of the jail, he, he tried to create this self-made sling around his bed to try to hang himself from the sling, uh, not hang himself to die, but hang himself so that he has some support over his back and abdomen area to try to relieve the pain. Uh, and you can see that in the video and, and it's quite troubling. The video shows and the medical records document that a MEND health technician did come see Bruce but the med tech was only qualified to hand out medications and take vital signs. In fact, on MEND job postings for med techs, the only listed requirements are being 18 years of age or older with a high school diploma or GED. Here's Nurse Becker again. A med tech um, does not have the requisite education, training, or experience to making um, assessments of any patient. They're not qualified. The med tech documented Bruce's blood pressure was sky high, 210 over 188. At that point, the health tech calls the on-call nurse. The on-call nurse calls the on-call nurse practitioner. So you've got a telephone game of medical assessment going on. And the only thing they're focused on is his high blood pressure. By phone, the on-call nurse practitioner prescribed an extra dose of his blood pressure meds. But as Nurse Becker points out to us, there's no record Bruce's other symptoms, including his severe pain, were assessed or treated. They never assessed him. They never assessed him for his abdominal pain. They never assessed him for his vomiting, his diarrhea. They left it up to an untrained and unqualified health technician who doesn't have the requisite education, training, and experience to make in-person assessments 
of a patient who clearly was having changes in his condition that warranted an assessment. You sound frustrated just reading through this. I'm angry. I'm shocked. Um, it, it not only deviates from acceptable nursing standards of care, um, but in my opinion is reportable to the Board of Nursing. It, it's just horrific to treat him um, or lack of treatment to him in that manner. Finally, Bruce was moved from the jail the next morning, but not for medical care. In fact, records show a nurse at the Beltrami Jail wrote in Bruce's charts that, quote, patient released to another county prior to being seen, unquote. Because of jail overcrowding, Bruce was transferred. He was shackled and shipped off to the Clearwater County Jail in the back of a prisoner transport van. Video shows by the time Bruce arrived at Clearwater, he could barely walk. While in a holding cell, waiting to be booked, he became unresponsive, throwing up what guards described as a brown tobacco-like liquid. That brown liquid? Experts tell us it's what's known as coffee grounds blood, partially digested blood from the stomach, vomited up. Evidence Bruce had been bleeding on the inside for some time. He was finally taken by ambulance to the hospital, but died shortly after arriving. Here's attorney Zorisov Leiterman again. Instead of sending him to the hospital where he belonged, they decided, hey, we're going to ship this guy off to Clearwater County. So, so while he's having this medical emergency, uh, they put him in a transport vehicle and they ship him off to Clearwater County. Uh, he gets to Clearwater County. He continues to suffer. Uh, and then later that day, he, he, he died. And the most chilling part of it all, by leaving that note for his family, Bruce clearly feared it was coming. But the note that he left uh, indicates that he knew what was going to happen to him. He knew that he was suffering. Uh, He knew that he wasn't getting the care that he needs. uh, And he knew that he wasn't going to leave that jail alive. And and he wouldn't have uh, had they not transferred him. If he would have stayed there for a few more hours, uh, this would have been another jail, uh, another jail death. Beltrami County. Here is nurse Melissa Becker's assessment of the medical care Bruce received in Beltrami. It's just so upsetting that they did nothing, nothing for this man. And he essentially internally bled to death and collapsed at a second facility. Needlessly, I wouldn't treat my worst enemy this way. Dr. Lehman agrees Bruce could still be alive if he'd actually gotten medical care. You know, he would have had a chance. It's that realization that haunts Bruce's family. The worst thing is just thinking about what my uncle was feeling the last, you know, two, three days of his life, asking for help and not getting anything, just wondering, you know, at what point did he know or think that he was going to die and nobody was going to be there with him or help him, and that really is hard for all of us, just him knowing that he was dying and nobody would help. Say his name! Say his name! That's Delshia Perry, Hardell Cheryl's mom on a bullhorn. Say his name! Bruce Standing alongside Bruce Lundmark's nieces at a protest outside the Beltrami jail as families who lost loved ones in the jail begin banding together in calls for accountability, calls for basic human dignity and medical care. This jail, other jails in Minnesota, everywhere. They need to change because this is not fair. This is not fair that anybody should have to go through this. So alarmed by what he saw in cases like Bruce's and Hardell Sherrill's, 
Zorislav wrote a letter to Minnesota Governor Tim Walz and Attorney General Keith Ellison requesting a state investigation of all in-custody deaths in Beltrami County. The Constitution requires humane medical care. We can't be just leaving people dying on the jail floor uh, and pretending that everything is okay when we know that it isn't. In response, Ellison, the Attorney General, told me he then asked the U.S. Attorney to get the FBI involved. I felt it was uh, disturbing. It raised some serious questions that I believe warranted investigation. I also forwarded a letter from myself to the U.S. Attorney asking for an investigation at that level as well. In addition, Department of Corrections Commissioner Paul Schnell told us he was launching a review of all deaths in all Minnesota jails, not just Beltrami. And to see if we uncover anything that we missed. Remember, as we told you in episode two, Commissioner Schnell had reopened the investigation into Hardell Sherrill's death and found his agency had previously missed pervasive violations of jail standards. How big a role did what happened with Mr. Sherrill play in you deciding to take this look across the entire state? Well, it, 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 it was pivotal. There is constitutional, constitutional obligations that are required of the government when we take someone's liberties. And I think that's what's so essential, that we make sure we protect people's constitutional rights, our legal obligations. And I've, frankly, I think morally, uh, we have an obligation to make sure that, that these people are cared for with respect, uh, decently, and appropriately. While the state launched their review, my team's investigation discovered a lot more has been missed when it comes to people dying in jails. Most of these men and women, just like Bruce and Hardell, did not even get their day in court. They never made it to their trial before dying while basic medical and mental health care required by the U.S. Constitution was denied. You go in for a DWI, you may not come out of jail. Or if you go in, you know, for whatever reason, you may not come out of jail, and that's just not right. The Lundmark family says seeing Bruce denied medical care and left to die nearly a year after the same thing happened in the same jail to Hardell Sherrill makes the whole situation somehow worse. Well, it makes me angry in a way because that other case had was about a year prior to Bruce's and they hadn't made any changes to correct basically what they're doing. Um, so yeah, I was I was angry learning about all the all the other cases and hurt and upset, obviously. To add insult to injury, get this. Beltrami County is trying to bill the Lundmark family $32,000 for the medical assistance they provided Bruce. Meanwhile, Bruce's family is fulfilling his dying wish. They are suing the shit out of Beltrami County. In the next episode of Cruel and Unusual. Our investigation expands outside Beltrami County. What we find raises serious questions about the state's largest jail medical provider and a pattern of deaths, including a teenage girl who begged to be saved. Don't leave me in here. I'm AJ Legault. Producers are Brandon Stahl, Steve Eckert, and Gary Knox.